Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. I love saying that. We are here on Wednesday, halfway through the week. And let's get Raj on the call so we can find out what's happening in the U.S. All right, I am ready with my stories, and you're ready with your stories? I'm ready with my headlines, anyway. (laughs) I don't know what the story's about yet. All right, let's get started, then. Today on Before Coffee, Russia floundering in mud of lies over Kakhovka Dam destruction, Ukraine tells the UN. Meatball Ron DeSantis is stealing people again. Reintroduction of endangered vulture in Spain paused over planned wind farm. Organized men's professional golf sells its alleged soul for Saudi cash. Heartwarming to see rich people find common greed. Sudan fighting escalates after breakdown in ceasefire talks. And on Weird Wednesday in Denmark, paralyzing potato pileups possibly planned by political people. And in Berlin, 82-year-old German ganja gangsta gets last chance. Today on the Comprehensive News of the Planet Earth here on June 7th, 2023 edition of For Coffee. Right, let's get into my first news story here. With Russia and the dam, we talked about it a little bit yesterday because we were talking about how it's not a threat to the nuclear power plant for a while, but it's still dangerous because if that reservoir empties, they won't have any water to cool down mm-hmm. the plant. And now we've got Russia denying that they did anything wrong, I think. Russia's UN envoy, envoy was accused of floundering in a mud of lies after he claimed at an emergency session of the Security Council in Ukraine, destroyed Kakhovik Dam is a war crime, especially since it provides water to thousands and is now drowning thousands of people. Sergei Kislysia, the Ukraine envoy to the UN, said it was typical of Russia to blame the victim for its own crime pointing out Russia has been in control of the dam for more than a year, and it was physically impossible to blow it up for sh- by shelling. He said the dam was mined by the Russian occupiers, and they blew it up. He accused Russia of floundering again in a mud of lies. Like, they also liked that he said that. <laughs> it's a dam, there's water, flounders. Uh-huh. Like, everyone is happy that he kept on saying that line. By resorting to the scorched earth tactics, I mean, it's awful that the dam was destroyed, but the pun That's is the only pun, positive though. thing about this. It's just like, I get it. Or in this case, the flooded earth tactics, instead of the scorched earth tactics, the flooded earth tactics. I didn't say this. The UN okay. envoy from Ukraine said, this is a quote, or in this case, the flooded earth tactics. It almost seems like Onion article with the comedy that's running in here. Uh, the Russian occupiers have effectively recognized that the captured territory does not belong to them and they are not able to hold these lands, said Kiss Kislystia. That's how I'm going to say his name. Neither the French 
U.S. or British representatives at the U.N. directly said there was evidence of Russian responsibility, but called for an investigation and insisted their support for Ukraine was unwavering. Outside of the U.N., Security Council member, the Deputy U.S. Ambassador to the U.N., Robert Wood, said, We're not certain at all. We hope to have more information in the coming days. I mean, come on! Why would Ukraine do this to its own territory and people? Flood its land? For tens of thousands of people to leave their homes? It doesn't make any sense. It's all a ploy. That's Russia's entire byline. It's a ploy to make us look bad. We're not bad people. Ukraine are purposely hurting themselves to make us look bad. Okay, Russia, that's a crazy conspiracy you got going there, seeing as you invaded a country. You put troops in another country that isn't yours. That's an invasion. Can't victim blame out of that one. Uh, That's not the way they see it, though. They see right? it completely different, right? They all get it their way. Vasily Nebenzia, the Russian envoy to the UN, claimed Ukraine had committed an unthinkable crime. His main supportive evidence was an article in the Washington Post, which Andriy Kovaluchuk, Ukraine's southern commander, claimed Ukraine had tested strikes on the dam. Nebenzia said the West was responsible for a coordinated disinformation campaign full of flawed logic that reeks of schizophrenia and not of latent variety. Okay, so just call them crazy. Huh? Sorry? How's it coordinated? I don't know. They're just saying like America, probably America, right? America and Ukraine were like, yeah, let's uh, blow up the dam and be like, oh, Russia did it so we can make them look bad. That's just the West. The West are against us. Um, All true. Said the attack was part of an effort to distract <laughs> from Ukraine's clearly bogged down military offensive that was failing to meet its objectives. We are deeply bewildered. Yeah, it's just a PR campaign. We are deeply bewildered that the UN Secretariat repeatedly fails to condemn the attacks perpetrated by the Kiev regime, citing insufficient information. The security's leadership does not hesitate to replicate politicized conclusions that suggest all such crimes are a result of Russia's actions in Ukraine. Martin Griffiths, the UN humanitarian envoy, did not accuse Russia of responsibility for the humanitarian disaster, saying investigations would be held, be asserted that the incident would not have occurred if it, he, it were not in Russia for Russia's invasion. Yeah, like no dam would be exploded if you weren't just invading a country. That's kind of true. <laughs> they wouldn't. <laughs> like maybe, I guess there could be a terrorist attack on the dam by Nazis or something. I don't know, but unlikely. The UN has no access to the independent information on the circumstances that led to the destruction in the hydroelectric power plant, he said, but added the destruction of the dam was one of the most significant pieces of damage to Ukrainian infrastructure since the war started and would have grave consequences for thousands of people as well as the environment. An emergency response was underway to help 16,000 people, Griffiths said, pointing out the dam was a key source of support to agriculture for South Kirshen as well as livestock and its destruction would be a massive blow to food production and clean water supply in Crimea. He warned that the risk of mine and explosive ordnance contamination had increased the fast-moving water rush into the area, previously assessed as safe, thus putting people in further unpredictable danger. Alright, this is a story from Patrick Wintour, the diplomatic editor at The Guardian. Your story. Alright. And in the USA, this is from Channel 3 in Sacramento, California. 
Florida Governor Ron DeSantis administration on Tuesday confirmed its involvement in the migrant relocations, as they call it, by flights to Sacramento and released video that are that it argued shows they were not kidnapped or treated poorly. The video provided by Florida's Division of Emergency Management shows two minutes and 21 seconds of short video clips and photos of migrants signing waivers, dancing to music inside the bus, and posing for smiling photos on an airplane. KCRA 3S blurred their faces for their security and their little propaganda video. It's unclear when the video clips were recorded, and who took them and includes videos from one or both recent flights that brought three dozen asylum seekers to Sacramento. In one clip, Meyer, Migrant records himself in front of a private jet saying, We made it to California. Thank you to God. Recommend. <laughs> Another clip shows the group inside of a conference room speaking with government agents being asked in Spanish if they were treated poorly. It's, it's not clear. Who asked the question? One migrant responded by saying, no, they treated us super well. Well, they dumped us somewhere we've never been before and we're not supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, we they were went up. to our faces and didn't tell us where we were yeah. going, but they gave us more, coffee. More clips show migrants, yeah, the clips where they're having a good time are always going to be the ones they show. More clips show migrants reading through what appears to be waivers in a hotel room. They're a migrant thanks to contractors in a room. Contractors for the room. For me, my travels are traumatic, one says. Thank you for my security. KCRA Channel 3 has requested a copy of the waiver the migrants were, see were seen sighing in the video. Florida officials said they were working on a request on Tuesday afternoon. The flights are part of Florida's voluntary relocation program, which DeSantis has touted as his protest to immigration policies which i have no idea what he's protesting these people are, are asylum seekers florida officials said the migrants said they wanted to go to california both verbally and writing the florida of course they want to go anywhere the florida agency provided the video a day of california's governor gavin newsom tweeted at ron DeSantis tweeted at meatball ron DeSantis. donald trump's name for him by the way you small, pathetic man, kidnapping charges with a, <laughs> with a question mark. This isn't Michael, this, is, this isn't Martha's Vineyard. Read the following, I'm oh, sorry. California Attorney General Rob Bonta said he believed Florida was behind the two flights that took 36 migrants from El Paso, Texas to Sacramento. Bonta said the state is doing a full investigation to identify what the asylum seekers were told and are analyzing whether the facts support criminal and civil actions against Florida officials or workers at private vendors hired as part of the operation. Through verbal and written consent, these volunteers indicated they wanted to go to California. A contractor was president ensured they made it safely to the third-party NGO non-government organization said Alicia Collins, a, sport, a spokesman for Florida Division of Stealing People. Oh, I'm sorry, Division of Emergency Management. Now, once again, these people were not in Florida. They were in Texas. Why does Florida have a, have a say in, oh, let's go to Texas, grab some people and take them to California or fly them wherever, for that matter. <laughs> blah 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 propaganda propaganda church leaders said the migrants told them they didn't know what, where they were Bonta said Monday migrants in the first flights were dropped off the front steps of the Sacramento diocese search, church leaders said the migrants told them they didn't know where they were 
KCRA 3 is unable to identify independently verify the experience of the migrants because the groups now overseeing their care are not allowing reporters to speak with any of them. In order for them to proceed with their individual cases and sir, they are not participants of political theater, we will not be availing any access to our new neighbors in the press, a spokesman for the Pico, California said. A spokesman for Newsom, Anthony York, called the release of the video exploitive propaganda being peddled by a politician has shown there are no depths he won't sink in his desperate effort to score a political point. Governor Newsom said it best. The Florida governor is a small empathetic is small and pathetic and the video is just another reminder of that. Once again these are not like oh no we're criminals. These are people patiently waiting for their hearings and being told lies and be sent on airplanes to places. Well yeah we like to go to California. We think it's a great place. They've never been there. And they send them to Sacramento of all places. <laughs> Your story. Yeah, right? There's plenty of freaking people there for them, anyways. Oh, meatball run. All right. In Spanish news, conservationists in Spain are calling for a profound debate on how best to balance the protection of wildlife with renewable energy demands after efforts to reintroduce the endangered bearded vultures to an eastern area of the country had to be paused because of the threat posed by a huge new wind farm. The bearded vulture, known in Spanish as the Huebranta Usus, Eusos, or Bone Breaker, the Bone Breaker, because of the way it drops bones from a great height so they shatter and yield their marrow, was a common across the country until the 20th century, when it was poisoned and hunted to the brink of extinction. Okay, interesting. Today, thanks to four, what were they doing, picking up kids? I don't understand why you killed all the vultures. Uh, <laughs> They're killing my corn plants. I don't know what they were doing. Uh, today, thanks to four decades-long program of con conservation and reintroduction, there are more than 200 pairs of vultures in Spain, France, and Andorra, the overwhelming majority of them in the Pyrenees. However, the push to increase bird numbers in the Maestrozago area of southeast Aragon has been put on hold as the Foundation for the Conservation of Bearded Vultures seeks clarity over the precise dimensions of a proposed wind farm, compromising more than 100 turbines, some of which will be more than 150 meter tall, or 518 feet tall. The Foundation suspended the program in Maestrozgo after its experts analyzed from the radio tech bearded vultures and Eurasian griffin vultures in the area. According to the records, the 10 bearded vultures flew within one kilometer radius of the proposed turbines on 35,000 occasions and would have flown directly into them on 745 occasions had they been built. I, I understand this argument that turbines kill when, like, uh, kill birds, but the thing is, big birds like vultures and hawks, they can see a turbine. They can hear it going, foo, foo, foo. They're not gonna go, oh, what's that? Let me fly into it. So I don't, I don't, is like there a real study out there that says a lot of vultures and hawks are getting killed by wind turbines or is that just propaganda? I don't know. I'll look it up. Sounds later. like propaganda. There was a, there was a uh, cattle drug that was killing vultures. Uh, so it almost wiped them out in Pakistan and places like that back yeah. in the early 2010s. 
and that might be what the shortage is but yeah wind turbines uh i think vultures are smart enough not to hit them yeah like I said, they're huge they're freaking intelligent animals they're not yeah. stupid and they can see yeah. unlike you yeah. know sing, sing, songbirds songbirds can't These, see very far <laughs> and they don't they don't fly high enough to fly into the wind turbines to yeah the 12 griffin vultures flew within one kilometer of the future turbines on 26,500 occasions once they once that wind farms up they're just gonna go around animals like yep. are okay with moving they're not <laughs> robots they're not designated one path and official statistics suggest more than 8,000 animals have died in wind farms across Spanish regions over the past five years. Foundation notes the figure only includes the carcasses of animals found under the turbines. Yeah, maybe they're just a nice shade for things to get killed, to get eaten. I'm like, oh, look, yeah. shade here in Spain. I don't have the answer. Yeah. Given that many carcasses are taken by predators with a few hours and the search for dead animals are not common, the scientific community estimates the carcasses found from between 10% and 20% of all the deaths that actually occur. Yeah, that's what I thought. That means that just in five years, between 44,000 and 80,000 animals have died, many of them vulnerable species of species and dangers of extinction. Detailed morality statics from Aragon and Navarra show that 1,387 griffin vultures, 6 Egyptian vultures, 30 golden eagles, 58 short-toed snake eagles, and 76 red kites wow. died in wind farms in the region between 2020 and 2022 alone. The Spanish Society of Conservation and Study of Bats also estimated that turbines killed 84,000 to 253,000 bats each year in Spain. That is crazy to me. Bats who echolocate got killed by wind turbines? I don't know. Yeah, man. fans are moving. Fans are constantly moving now. Well, they're usually off at night. Why would they be off at night? I don't know, because it seems it dangerous no to leave them on at, all, the, in, at night. What difference does it make? Yeah. According to the foundation, which says the proposed wind farm was signed off in haste by a central government, because of the energy instability caused by the war in Ukraine, the development would severely compromise the survival of the bird species in northeast Spain. This is the first time it had to pause its reintroduction campaign. Some politicians here have raised similar concerns over the wind farm project environment and ever environmental impact. At the end of January, the local Teruel Exist party said it could bring a legal challenge against the environment ministry's decision to press on with the development, arguing it could constitute an environmental crime. A spokesperson for the environment ministry said it had already decided the proposed wind farm to make sure it did not intrude on densely populated bearded vulture areas where the birds also nest. He added, all renewable energy protects is projects in Spain, not just the ones in the Maestrazgo area, are subject to the same strict legal guarantees when it comes to environmental impact so that the development of green energy in all areas is compatible with the preservation of biodiversity and the landscape, said a politician. So we'll see how that goes. Probably still will get built because, you know, fuck them birds or something. I don't this was a. I don't a, believe that, but I believe the politicians believe that. Birds? Who cares about birds? That's delicate balance. Sam Jones, this is an article by Sam Jones in Madrid on The Guardian. Your story. Oh, okay. Okay, so I screwed that up. Let me get back to my story. Okay, in sporting news, remember the Live Golf Tour, tour which was uh, started by the Saudi family and like last year the PGA was outraged that all these horrible murdering Saudis are stealing our best golfers well uh, PGA, PGA Tour Commissioner who made those statements last year 
was called a hypocrite in a heated meeting with players at Oakdale Golf and Country Club in Toronto. This is according to ESPN. On Tuesday, hours after the tour announced it was forming a partnership with Saudi Arabia's public investment fund and DP World Tour. That's right, these merciless killers are now our best buddies in this new golf league we're going to start. Australian golfer Jeff Ogilvie told reporters that the player called Monaghan a hypocrite. That A player called Monaghan a hypocrite during the meeting, which lasted more than an hour. At the site of this week's RBC Canadian Open. It was mentioned, yeah, and he took it, Ogilvy said. He said, yeah, he took it for sure. PJ winner Johnson Wagner told Golf Channel there was plenty of anger in the room. It was contentious, he said. There were many moments where certain players were calling for new leadership of the PGA. A tour even got a couple of standing ovations. In a news conference with Porter's reporters later, Monahan said he realizes what he might be criticized for agreeing to form a new entity with the Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund after he had questioned the source of the live golf in the past. I recognize everything I've said in the past and my prior positions. I recognize that people are gonna call me a hypocrite, Monahan said. Anytime I said anything, I said it with the information that I had at the moment. And I said it based on someone that's trying to compete with the PJ Tour and our players. Boy, does he sound like an idiot. I accept these criticisms, but circumstances do change. And I think in looking at the big picture and looking at it this way, it's what we got to do at this point. So his moral outrage disappeared over one year. At last year's RBC Canadian Open, Monahan was asked about the Saudi Arabian monarchy's connection to the September 11, 2001 attacks during the interview with CBS Sports. <clears throat> I think you'd have to be living under a rock to know that there are significant implications, Monahan said at the time. I would ask any player who has left or any player who would consider leaving, have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour? Well, Monahan on Tuesday said the PGA Tour had been in talks with public investment fund officials over about seven weeks. He said the PGA Tour public board members Ed Hurley and Jimmy Doon had the initial meeting with Yasser Al-Romyayan, the governor of the Sovereign Wealth Fund. There were four in-person meetings as well as a number of video calls and phone conversations. During Tuesday's meetings with Monaghan, several players complained about being kept in the dark during the negotiations. Many players found out via social media on Tuesday before ever seeing a memo that was sent by Monaghan. PGA Tour stars such as Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, and others weren't told about the pending deal in advance. Neither were members of the Player Advisory Council. A source told ESPN that Monahan didn't reveal many details of the plan. <laughs> With PIF and DP World Tour and stood in front of the room and took everything the players gave him. When you get in these conversations, and given the complexity of what we were dealing with, it's not uncommon that the circle of information is very tight. In our case, you kept that information very tight. The fact that the matter, fact of the matter is a shock to a lot of people because we're not in a position to share or explain as we normally would. And that was really all the commitment we made to maintain confidentiality through the end. 
Monahan said he understood players being players being frustrated about being blindsided by the news. Obviously, it's been very dynamic and complex for a couple of years, and for players, I'm not surprised. This is an awful lot to ask them to digest. This is a significant change for us in a direction we are going down. Others reacted more positively to the news, including Jack Nicholas, who is probably very senile at this point. Who called the agreement good for the game of golf? I am certainly interested in seeing the details, Nicholas said. Jay indicated this will happen in 2024, so very soon the proof will be in the pudding. Ooh, there's an old tired maxim. Whatever the best for the game and joys of my full support. The agreement ends all litigation between the parties and combines PIF's golf-related commercial business and rights, including Live Golf, any commercial businesses, rights of PGA Tour and GPA World Tour into a new collectively owned for-profit entity to ensure that all stakeholders benefit from the model that delivers maximum excitement and competition in the game's best players. PGA Tour will remain a 501c6 tax-exempt organization, according to release, and will retain oversight of the sanctioning of advanced administration and collection of rules. And I'm going to start watching women's golf. Your story. Isn't that, well, one of the best golfers is a woman, right? I thought so. Uh, there's really nothing in golf that makes you better at it. As a well, man. Other, other than you can hit it farther, only men can hit it farther. That's about it. Men can hit it farther, but women hit. There's plenty of women hit 300 yards, which is basically we're all men. Hit. Yeah. I mean, just they're. Uh, I'm just saying it's the same sport. Yeah. The tees are a little bit closer because yeah, that's it. So I. I all right. I mean, they're just greedy. What can I say? It's just the most predictable thing in the world. Oh, God, they're in making a lot more... of money over there. All right. In more <laughs> Africa news, I sense we were kind of talking about Saudi Arabia, uh, which uh -huh. is the Middle East. But in Africa news, uh, Sudan fighting escalates. This is an article from Reuters, so I don't know who it's actually by. I don't know who wrote it, but it's Reuters. From Reuters. 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 Sorry, sorry. Reuters. I should have known that because I'm Dutch and it uses the same phonetics. There you go. Um, go fighting, fighting has identified in several areas of Khartoum after a ceasefire deal expired. Residents of Sudan's capital reported, as activists said, a new outburst of violence in North Drafur state had left at least 40 people dead. The ceasefire between Sudan's army and the Parliamentary Rapid Support Forces, RSF, began on the 22nd of May and expired on Saturday evening. Brokered by Saudi Arabia and the United States, so Saudi Arabia is in this article, okay, I thought so, uh -huh. and Parliamentary uh, and the United States, the temporary truce calmed the fighting slightly and allowed limited humanitarian access, but like previous ceasefires, was repeatedly violated. Talks to extend it broke down on Friday. Sudan's deadly power struggle, which erupted on the 15th of April, has triggered a major humanitarian crisis in which more than 1.2 million people have displaced within the country, with another 400,000 forced to flee into neighboring countries. Live footage on Sunday showed black smoke billowing in the southern Karotum. We are living in a tier of violent bombardment, the sound of anti-aircraft guns and power cuts. President Sarah, Sarah Hassan said by phone, We are in a real hell. Among the other areas where fighting was reported were central and southern Khartoum and Bahir, across the Blue Nile to the north. Witnesses say a military plane had crashed in 
Omdurman, one of the three cities around the confluence of the Nile that make up the greater capital region. There was no comment from the army, which has been using warplanes to target RSF fighters spreading out across the capital. Beyond Khartoum, deadly fighting has also broken out in Darfur in the far west of Sudan, already grappling with long-running unrest and huge humanitarian challenges. Witnesses reported the heavy fighting on Friday and Saturday had brought chaos to Khartoum, as well as many towns and commercial hubs in North Darfur. At least 40 people were killed and dozens more wounded, including residents of a Kassab camp, which housed people displaced by earlier unrest, said the Drafur Bar Association, which monitors rights to the region. The army denied claims that the RSF, which developed out of Drafur militias and has its own base, power base in the region, had taken over Kutum. Separately, Sudanese antiquities authorities said RSF fighters had withdrawn from the National Museum in Central Khartoum on Saturday. The RSF... You're dropping out. Hmm? I'm... What? Never mind. It's just on my... Yeah. And sound was dropping off. On Saturday, the RSF released a video filmed inside the grounds of the museum, which houses ancient mummies and other precious artifacts, denying they had harmed the collection. Fighting in the capital has led to widespread damage and looting, dwindling food supplies, and a collapse in health services, services, power, and water facilities. In recent days, the first rain of the year had fall, have fallen, heralding the start of a rainy season that runs until October and brings flooding and a high risk of waterborne diseases. The rains could complicate a relief effort already hampered by bureaucratic delays and logistical challenges. Aid workers have warned the dead bodies have been left in streets and uncollected rubbish have been piling up. Saudi Arabia and the U.S. said they were continuing to engage daily with delegations from the Army and the RSF, which had remained in Jeddah, even though talks to extend the ceasefire were suspended last week. The two countries said in a statement, those discussions are focused on facilitating humanitarian assistance and reaching agreement on a near-term steps that parties must take before Jeddah talks resume. That's our end of our story by somebody at Reuters. I don't know who wrote it, but uh, yeah. somebody at Reuters Bill wrote Ro that about Johnny Reuters. Right? Johnny Reuters wrote jo that. Good old Johnny. About Sudan. All right, in Weird Wednesday Oddity News, the very last warning for 82-year-old German convicted of dealing drugs. A German court says it's giving an 82-year-old man a last warning to avoid jail after he's found guilty of drug dealings, despite 24 previous convictions. The retired seaman has said he wanted to improve his meager 800 euro, $855 monthly pension by selling marijuana was handed suspended sentence by a court in the northern town of Auric on Monday. German news agency DPA reported that the prosecutors asked the court to impose a prison terms of 34 months in view of the man's lengthy criminal record and existing suspended sentence. So that's just one lighthearted story of an old man just trying to make ends meet, selling something that people want. 
In Denmark, potatoes on Key Bridge cause havoc. A 57-year-old truck driver was detained Tuesday, Thursday, sorry, Thursday, which was last week, after loads of potatoes were found spilled on Key Bridge on a Key Bridge linking two Danish islands. Police have said the driver was held on suspicion of causing reckless endangerment to life. The first spill was reported on the westbound side of the Storbelt Bridge at 6.35 a.m. Police spokesman Kenneth Tranquist said the bridge connects the island where the capital Copenhagen is located and the rest of Denmark. A similar incident happened on the eastbound side a short time later, Tanquist added. It looks weird, he said. We are working with two hypotheses. Either it's an accident or something has been done deliberately. Police said the roads had become slippery and urged drivers to drive slowly. According to the Danish Road Directorate, lines of vehicles reported on either side of roughly 18-kilometer bridge and tunnel link between the islands of Funen, where Odense, Denmark's third largest city, is located, and Zealand, where Copenhagen sits. A third incident of potatoes on the road was reported near the town of Kolding in the Jutland Peninsula. Kolding is near the Storbelt Bridge. Danish public broadcaster DR noted that the potato spills occurred in the same day as the Danish parliament passed a law to tax diesel trucks transporting heavy loads. The new measure has drawn protests from truck drivers in recent weeks. They peacefully blocked highways and main roads through the country, claiming the tax will make their livelihoods unsustainable. A majority of the Danish parliament argue it is vital that the continued use of gas and diesel, gas and diesel fuel trucks is environmentally unsustainable. As of 2025, the drivers of gas and diesel fuel vehicles over 3.5 tons will be taxed 1.3 kroner, which is 19 cents per kilometer driven, which is basically six tenths of a mile. Torben Dial Hyorth, a spokesman for protesting truckers, said on Facebook Friday Facebook that the strongly distances they strongly distance themselves from today's stunts. He added that they can plan protests at a later stage can be felt without the risk of people's lives and well-being. So three incidental potato dumps or a protest? We don't know, but still interesting. Your story. Okay, we don't know. We'll find out later, maybe. One random guy, maybe. In culture news, we got an article by Shad Zasuza about how pop... Well, pop music is pop music, really. Uh, It's a risk they put out something completely new. Why pop is so heavily plundering the past. The charts are stuffed with dance pop songs that brazenly lift from the 90s hits. Is this a clever blend of nostalgia and refreshness or a sign that industry has run out of ideas? Pop has always eaten itself, but its appetite for nostalgia has become more voracious than ever, particularly for the dance music of the 90s and 2000s. There are numerous singles that reference the era, or era, uh, that reference the era most often with interpolation, the reusing of lyric or melodic phrase. In the UK chart, Switch Disco and Ella Henderson's React, likely rising into the top three this week, samples Robert Miles' trance classic Children, David Guetta's Baby Don't Hurt Me, Flips Hadaway's Immortal What Is Love, Kim Petra's and Nicki Minaj's Alone recycles the hook of Alice DJ's Better Off Alone, and Denim Audio 
has had a long-standing hit with a version of Strike You Sure Do. Sure Do. All of them hark back to an era of bright, uncomplicated melodies, big melancholic chords, and messy nights out with a that went mercifully undocumented on social media. <laughs> ah, the 90s. Unless you're famous enough for tabloids to be following you, of course. Jack Melhush, who until Warner's recent layoff served as a general manager of Parlophone Records UK, says the tipping point for the craze came last year when David Guetta and Beba, Beba Rexa released I'm Good, Blue, with interpolated Eiffel 65's Blue Dabadi and later hit number one on the UK charts. It wasn't the first, but in terms of scale, you'd be hard-pressed to find a 90s pop dance sample that was as flagrant and as blatant as that. After the record came out, there was a slight change from the producer and artist community, like, oh, now we can really go for this. These tracks differ from the way rap mu music has long used samples. The majority feature a faithful recreation of a vocal hook or the original song's production. Both options create an uncanny sense of time warp, a kind of music musical deja vu. Big budget mainstream pop stars have been using the technique for a few years now. Alva Max is the unspeeded queen, inter interpolating everything from Barbie Girl to Can't Fight the Moonlight. An interest in turn of the millennium dance music among pop producers has been pre percolating for a while. <laughs> In 2019, Joel Corey's cover of Monster Boy's 2000 hit Sorry I Don't Know dominated the summer thanks to a placement on Love Island. A year later, Flume, Nia, and GFOTY all rifed on Blue, Dabadi, more month, mere months apart from each other. But the past year has seen a huge glut of new songs that interpolate 90s and double aughts dance classics by everyone from mainstream pop names including Brita Orta, James Arthur to cheesy club favorites such as Nathan Dow. Bradford Baseline lads, bad boy chiller crew are special offenders. Their latest sped up version of Babylon Zoo's Spaceman. Yes, in, I don't know if you know what interpolation is or the viewers out there know what that is, but let's say that is a great example. Um, blue, right? You know, everyone knows how the songs go, but let's just change the lyrics. I'm new. Can I buy you a drink? Can I buy you a drink? You know, that's what they're doing. They're just uh -huh. using the same melody, but like, oh, we changed the lyrics and it's a totally different thing. But your brain goes, hey, wait a minute. This sounds familiar. What is I'm going to listen to this song at least 15 more times to figure out what it sounds like. And then they're like, wow, we got to number one on Billboard. Yeah, because people are listening to their song, being like, this sounds like something I've heard before. <laughs> and that, it's a cheap tactic, that I think is what uh, well, it, this guy's saying. Well, if you can it's get away without being sued. It's a cheap tactic to get people to listen to your song by saying, this is, sounds like a different song. If you can get away without being sued, plagiarism. Yeah, no, they no they can. Yeah. Interpolation is protected under copyright. Uh -huh. You can interpolate all you want for now. For now. Right on. Okay, are we ready for this day in history? Or? Nope. I'm still ready. No, we're not. Give me a sec. Oh, okay. Nick Gale, right. aka producer and songwriter Digital Farm Animals, says using the hook that has already proven successful is tempting for a lot of artists and record labels. Artists are looking for security, and it's always a risk these days to put out something completely new. When you're betting on a record, especially in today's market, I would take my chances on a song people already knew. If I worked at a record label. 
The exception for him was Beg For You, a song he worked on with Charlie XCS and Rina Gawiyama that interpolated the hook of September's Eurodance mash Cry For You. Charlie and Rina, they're both artists I really respect and everything kind of gelled together. But in general, I'm less excited about remarking on old songs almost the same as it was with a harder kick drum and a donk bass line, which is often what I think labels are wanting me to do. Lambie Knight thinks that we're going to see a lot of more creative uses of samples and a lot more collaborations and reworks in the style of Rita Orta's Praising You, which also features Fatboy Slim in addition to sampling him. The sheer availability of music right now, she says, lends itself to the, a more sample and interpolation-oriented pop music culture. 100,000 tracks go live on Spotify every day, which means that the breadth of music you have, the capacity to sample from is only going to increase over time. Which is not, Mel Hoosh says, a sign of pop running out of ideas. He, he gives the example of P. Diddy, P. Diddy sampling Diana Ross and interpolating Sting's Sting in the 90s. If you were sitting in Bad Boy Records in 1996, you might have been, you might have been having the same conversation saying, we feel like there's a level of plagiarism and laziness here, he says. But actually, it's a, how culture works. It's cyclical, and it's transformative. Hale, too, thinks that there's still innovation happening in dance pop. Right now, in dance music, there's a really exciting scene emerging. We had a bit of a lull through COVID, but people like Skrillex and Fred again are super exciting, he says. It feels really fresh and kind of underground again. But those artists make pop music, too. I don't think we're running out of ideas. I just think there's so much new music now that a lot of familiar music cuts through. It's great business. If you can release a song knowing it'll become huge, why wouldn't you? That's the end of the article there. Well, unfortunately for me, I, I appreciate music as an art, and that sounded like a marketing document. <laughs> well, it was written by a board of directors. It was an interview with a guy in the industry, so yeah, he's going to try familiarize to as much as he can. Read as much Frank Zappa as you can. Watch as many Frank Zappa as you can. Because there's a guy who just never compromised. Played his own music and didn't have to rip off anybody else. And, and go, oh, marketing, marketing, marketing. I don't I mean, think, I think he had one. I think if you can interpolate yeah. music, try yeah. interpolating something that nobody's ever, nobody listens to, right? Like it's really low streams. How about you know, using musical instruments? that nobody else uses like xylophone yeah. or something you know <laughs> just how about the clarinet you know just be something besides oh no that sells let's do that <laughs> okay this day in history 1494 the treaty of portocellus an agreement between spain and portugal aimed at settling conflicts over the newly discovered and explored uh land by christopher columbus was signed in this day in 1494. Well, there you go. 1520, Henry VIII of England and France. This first of France. France is the first of France. And their entourages gathered at the field of cloth of gold near Calais, France, or Clay, France. Clay, right? 1576, English navigator Martin Forbisher, seeking a northwest passage to the Pacific Ocean, departed England and weeks later reached Labrador and Baffin Island and discovered that bay that now bears his name, which is, I guess, Forbisher Bay? Yeah. Okay. In 1832, author by Prime Minister Charles Gray, the second Earl Gray, the Reform Act of 
1832 came into effect. In 1917, poet Gwendolyn Brooks, whose urban depicted every life of urban African Americans and was the first African American poet to win the Pulitzer Prize, was born. 1917. 1965, the landmark case of Griswold versus the state of Connecticut ruled in favor of the constitutional right of married persons to use birth control. But you're probably going to try to take away now. In 1970, English novelist and social literate Ian Forster, whose whose acclaimed novels included Howard's End and A Passage to India, died at the age of 91. 1982, in Graceland, Elvis Presley, home in Memphis, Tennessee, where he died in 1977, was open for public tours and became one of the top tourist attractions in the United States. I have been to Graceland. Kind of interesting. Is it kind of pretty interesting? 20, 2006, Jordanian born Iraq militant Abu Masa Abzakari, the self styled leader of Iraq Islamic militant group Al Qaeda, was killed by a U.S. military airstrike. Birthdays today. Birthdays, birthdays, birthdays. We got birthdays. We got Allen Iverson, American basketball player, 1975. Prince was born on this day in 1958. 1952, Liam Neeson was born in Ireland. In 1917, Dean Martin, singer and actor, was born. And in 1905, James J. Braddock, American boxer, was born. And what day is it today? Let's see. Oh, wait, the Letarian Treaty was ratified in this day in 1929 through the Letarian Treaty, signed February 11, 1929, by Benito, Benito Mussolini for Italy and by Pietro Gaspari, Cardinal Secretary of State for the Papacy, ratified this day in 1929. Vatican City became a sovereign state. So that's that's all about so Vatican City is basically a city within Rome is a country all of its own <laughs> since 1929 and today is National Oklahoma Day remember Oklahoma not finally I'm sure finally or not finally yeah it was really hot it's National Boone yeah <laughs> it's hot <laughs> National Boone Day, June 7th. Daniel Boone, I guess. It's about Daniel Boone. It's World Safety Day. It's also National Running Day. National Chocolate Ice Cream Day. And National VCR Day. Wow, VCR Day. Let's keep that up today. It's also Buggy Whip Day tomorrow. I'm sorry. What's that? Don't forget to rewind them tapes before you take them to Blockbuster. World Caring Day on June 7th, and that is all the days that they're spit to print. You get that chocolate, get that chocolate ice Caring Day. Well, Karen cares a little too much about everything. Nothing to see here. What's this matter? has been Allison here discussing how Russian did nothing wrong and everything they have ever done has been Ukraine's fault. And we will see you tomorrow on Thursday for more of that news. And Roger dodging wildfires and trying to keep track of the weirdness in the world. Another day, June 7th, 2023 on Before Coffee.
be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow our other channels, Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.